the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back, everybody, to Southern California Live for hour two of our program here in all of Southern California, Los Angeles and San Diego and everywhere in between. It's great to be with you. I'm Scott Furrow, testing positive today for enough caffeine to get us through and to be your guest host today. Live from Southern California every day from three to five. It's great to be with you again. And uh, so we can build each other up together so we're more effective witnesses of Jesus Christ. And uh, it's great to be with you. Uh, a lot of things going on in the world today, and uh, I thought I would mention uh, some of them. You can give me a call at 888-LA-TALKS, 888-528-2557 if you want to join the conversation. And um, you can also email me at SoCalLive, SoCalLive at KKLA.com, SoCalLive at KKLA.com. And if you got your thoughts there, but we'd love to hear about, hear from you or hear about you. No, we want to hear, hear from you, hear about you on the phone. 888-LA-TALKS, 888-528-2557. And uh, hopefully you are enjoying your drive home or your afternoon at work or maybe your afternoon at home in this beautiful day today. A man was uh, had surgery and his heart was replaced by a pig heart. I mentioned that yesterday. I have all kinds of thoughts about that. Can you eat bacon if you have a pig heart? How does it work? Is that cannibalism? It's an incredible thing when you think about where science has taken us with those kinds of things. It's genetically modified pig heart. Uh, so do you have to eat turkey bacon? How does it go? I don't know. 888-LA-TALKS. If you've got a pig heart, you can give me a call. Or if you don't, 888-528-2557. Uh, you know, something strange happened yesterday. Did you see this? That there was a full ground stop of airlines on the West Coast yesterday. And uh, it was a very, a very strange thing to see happen. And uh, it's uh, hold on a second. I did something crazy with my computer. You ever do something crazy? I was gonna I was gonna read all of that, and then it disappeared. There it goes. Went to some other screen, uh, right in front of you. And I wanted to take a look at that story there. Okay, so a ground stop occurs when uh, the FAA says, "Hey, no, nobody takes off," and nobody was to take off on the West Coast. And planes that were in the air around Los Angeles and San Diego, uh, and I think even north of here, maybe the Bay Area, they were told to land. And if you go online, you can listen to pilots and the conversation that went back and forth, and it's very mysterious. We don't know why that happened, but it's true. It was on the Today Show this morning, and uh, you can find it on probably any news website now if you want to look into it. Apparently, apparently, it had something to do with uh, the launch of a North Korean missile, a U.S. official said today. Uh, that was launched, and it went several hundred miles, I think, and it crashed into the Sea of Japan. It seems like that's a routine thing, right, that they do over there every once in a while. Um, but what a strange thing. Were you on one of these planes? I'd love to hear from you if you were on it. What did they tell you? Why are you landing uh, at a different airport or a different place? 888 It was only for a few minutes. Uh, it was seven minutes, then they took it away, then they brought it back. 888 is the number. It reminded me of 9-11 and the ground stop and the complete airspace shutdown that happened on that day. 
Um, on that day, if you remember that day, it was such a, a strange day um, all along. Well, the FAA eventually had to shut down all of the aircraft. There's a guy, his name is Ben Sliney, and Ben Sliney is was the director of the FAA on 9-11. The interesting thing is that it was his first day on the job. Can you imagine? That is your true story. It's his first day. He's been working for the FAA, of course, but he became the director of the FAA on September 11th, 2001. First day on the job. There's a movie called United 93 that's about uh, Flight 93. And uh, of all the 9-11 movies, it's probably the best one uh, to watch. And he is in it. He plays himself. He first was brought in there as a uh, consultant for really explaining what happened at the FAA. And the first part of that movie has... It's from the perspective of the FAA. And he was so good that he played himself. Uh, interesting story there. Anyway, I've been thinking about it. Why in the world did we have to shut down all of our airspace? Are we concerned that North Korea might be launching a missile that's going to hit us? And I don't mean to alarm you or anything. It's a story in the news. And, uh, you know, I'm one of those people who just thinks, you know what, we're going to die of something. And if I'm on an airplane, uh, do I really want it to land if that happens, or do I want it to stay in the air? I'm thinking I want to get in the air. Probably a better place to be uh, when that happens. But uh, anyway, that's going on. It made me wonder uh, about a few things. Are you concerned about death? Are you afraid of, of dying? I don't think anybody wants to die, right? The old song is everybody wants to go to heaven. We just don't want to go right now. But does this really frighten you? Last hour, we talked about uh, coronavirus and the confusion and uh, the disarray of all of that. And I think some of what builds into that is that we are, as a country, as a society, scared to death about death. That's always kind of the way it is. If you go to university, they're going to tell you that death is simply a part of life. And that, uh, you know, you just, that's just part of it. And that's how they try to comfort you. But the thing is, is that that's actually a lie. Like biologically speaking, okay, it's, it's part of the process. But here's the thing. Death is not part of life. Death is the enemy. And the reason that we're afraid of it is because it's coming for all of us. You don't need to be afraid of it if you know Jesus and you trust in him. But otherwise, it's coming. See, and death is the enemy. Death is the reason that we're all bent out of shape and everything's confusing about coronavirus. It's It's... It's caused so much chaos, our fear of death. It was brought up again today in those hearings that Dr. Fauci is the highest paid federal employee. He's paid more than the president. Did you know that? And part of it's because he's been on that job for so long, for 40 years, I think he's been in that job or close to it. Uh, You know, you keep getting salary increases. But the other part of it is it's an important job running the National Institutes of Health and being a part of that. And if there is no God or you don't believe in Jesus or you don't believe in victory over death, then Dr. Fauci is all you have for your hope or whoever replaces him or medical science in general. And that's something that is who we are as people, right? Is that we are so concerned and afraid of death that we spend more money at the end of our life, our final couple of weeks or months than we do in all the healthcare combined in the rest of our life, just to push death off for a week or two, just to push it off for just a little bit longer. When I talk about this in uh, North Korea and the missiles, and maybe it's not that. Maybe it's these hypersonic missiles that we know China has, that we think Russia has. Russia says they have them. 
And what it appears to be is that we don't have a response. These hypersonic missiles that are designed to get anywhere on the planet within five minutes and designed to bypass any security system we have, that's a scary thought, isn't it? To think about that and to think about maybe where the world is going. You know, world conquest, it's always been a thing uh, for people. It's not something that is that is unusual or something that we shouldn't be concerned about. I think it's it's definitely uh, something that's been on the mind of uh, the Chinese government. They've said so. Uh, it is an odd time. How are you feeling about this? And then what does it drive you to do? I mean, you can tell me you know how you feel about it, but what does it drive you to do? Well, let's say that uh, we have this ground stop with the FAA, and that happens, and it's because of a good reason. Something is headed over here. What are you going to think about? And just the fact that that's a possibility. I guess that's the big question I have in all this too is that is this something we always do every time they shoot some missile off over there or is this the first time? Is this a new policy that we have or is this something that uh, is brand new? And if it's brand new, why? What do we think about this? What in the world is going on? Give me a call if you want to join our conversation. 888-LA-TALKS, 888-528-2557. This is Scott Furrow, your guest host for today. And... um you know, it is a, uh, it's a significant thing to think about. We've got coronavirus, which is filling the news in the chaos of a lot of it. We have this event going on in world politics, and we don't really know what's happening. 888-528-2557. Let me go to uh, Craig from Woodland Hills. Craig, welcome to Southern California Live. Well, hi, how you doing? I was uh, going to talk about Fauci. Um, you know, kind of brings that on himself, and he doesn't answer the direct questions and he is well, we talked about this in the changing uh, the uh, story by bringing the story that he was asked to answer into another field so it's more obfuscation of the issue so you were you you were uh, listening in the last hour in the last hour if you just tuned in we had some conversation about the hearings that were going on today um, and a lot of the uh, confusing things what do you think that we should do about this uh, well, since I have you now yeah, and unfortunately, I, I don't think that we can't not talk about the issue or bring the issue up. I think the issue comes up, it needs to be discussed. Uh, I'm not sure what you can do about crazy people, just like the crazy Koreans. Uh, you know, we don't know what we're going to be launching. You mean, you mean the, the people who lead North Korea, not people in general, just to make <laughs> that really clear, right? You're talking about, yeah, uh, Kim, was it, Kim Jong-un crazy actors. Uh, and what, what in the world he's doing. There's, you know, he's uh, – I had an opportunity – years ago to speak to a diplomat. And one of the things he said is that you hope in North Korea as a diplomat that uh, when one of them dies, that the next one will be more reasonable. And there's hope for peace, he said, but only when the people at the, at the top uh, change. All right, Craig, thank you for your call. Appreciate that. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-52-TALKS, 888-528-2557, LA-TALKS is what that is, 888 um, yeah, I mentioned I had this conversation years ago with a diplomat, and he was talking about the difference between negotiating with – I can't say who it is, but it was a, he was somebody who was pretty significant. He was talking about the difference between negotiating with North Korea and Iran at the time, which are still you know, the big deal, right? Remember the axis of evil 20 years ago? Uh, North Korea, Japan uh, – North Korea, um, Iran, and Iraq, right? That was the, uh, the axis of evil. 
And he talked about the difference between the motivations, where the motivations in North Korea could change uh, if a new person comes to power and uh, wants to modernize North Korea. Uh, that didn't happen. There was a lot of hope when Kim Jong-un took power. There was a lot of hope, I think, when uh, Donald Trump decided to go over there and uh, started writing that guy. Well, we're kind of right back to where we were in the beginning, and he's sending over missiles. They claim, by the way, that they have uh, missiles that will reach anywhere in the world, uh, these hypersonic missiles. But uh, South Korea, I think today, said, nah, they don't have that. It was a normal missile. He said the difference in negotiation with countries like North Korea is that there's a chance for peace. This is what I thought was profound. He said, we negotiate for peace. We think there is actually an opportunity for peace, and we're going to go for it, and we think one day there will be peace. And that's encouraging. He said, the problem in the Middle East, he said, with a lot of the conversation is we don't negotiate for peace. We negotiate for time. He said, that's why you always hear about, well, maybe if Israel gives up this, this other side will give up this. And he said, the difficulty is that we think that one day the Middle East is going to blow up, and we think that's inevitable. That's what this guy said. He was not a Christian okay, diplomat. He said, so you negotiate for time. You push back that blow up a few years if you can get Israel to give up uh, these settlements over here, and then maybe these people in, uh, who are upset about it will, will relent uh, for a few more years, and you keep wanting to push that back with the hope that a new generation might have a different mindset. Uh, but, you know, it's a 5,000-year-old problem. It's probably not going to get resolved that easily. And if you study your Bible, it's not going to get resolved uh, that quickly. One of the things I thought I'd talk about here is also the hope that we have with the Lord with global politics. I started to talk about this the other day, uh, and it got cut off. Somebody reminded me, a listener reminded me that I didn't finish the story. And I thought maybe I would tell you a little bit about the story. You can give me a call, though, and uh, check in with me, 888-52-TALKS, 888-528-2557. So I was telling the story about uh, Eddie and Harold. And if you weren't listening, I'll just keep it here to Eddie and Harold. And these are two guys who met in World War II, Eddie and Harold. And Eddie and Harold fought together in World War World War I, I mean, not World War II. Eddie and Harold fought together in World War I, and when the war ended, they got out and decided to go into business together. And they got into the clothing business, um, and they got to know each other's families, and uh, they got to know a lot about each other. Harold was a, uh, a Gentile. Eddie was Jewish. And uh, for Harold, he learned a lot. It taught him a lot about the issues of anti-Semitism, which were growing and significant uh, even during World War I. And obviously, they became uh, a primary issue during World War II. They're growing again today, by the way, issues of anti-Semitism in a big way. Harold's uh, own mom didn't like Jewish people and uh, so didn't want Harold to bring his friend Eddie home for dinner. And that taught something uh, to uh, Harold quite a bit uh, about anti-Semitism and bigotry and the things that are out there. Well, these two had a friendship that lasted for their entire life. After World War I, they, they sold clothes together, and they got together, and uh, uh, that worked out pretty well for a while, but they went out of business during the 1920s. There was a downturn, a recession. This was before the Great Depression, but there was a, a recession. Recessions happen you know, all the time. But they re- remained friends, even though they went in different directions in life. And Eddie decided that he would remain being a salesperson, a clothing salesperson, and he became a traveling salesperson, and he sold men's suits door to door. Would you buy a men's suit? If somebody came to your, your door today, do, do people still do this? Are you a, a traveling salesperson or would you just assume it's some kind of MLM? 
uh, multi-level marketing uh, suits. Uh, this is the best suit you'll ever own. And you can sell suits too. And you think of all the money you'll make selling suits, going door to door and selling suits to all of your friends and relatives. And Eddie's career, though, he actually had a really good career selling these suits door to door. That's the way it worked out. And he had a route that what he did was wherever Harold lived, he made sure that he kept up with their friendship. Now, Harold decided to go into politics. Uh, and Harold became a friend of the political boss in town. There's a, a guy who was the political boss in Kansas City, Missouri, before World War II, during, right around the time of the Depression. His name was Pendergast. That was his name. And back then in politics, you know, uh, you have political bosses like Tom Pendergast, who he's the guy who really decided who got to be in office and who didn't. You know, right now there's a lot of politics and there's a lot of sort of the party decides and there's groups of people who kind of decide, but you can run independently. And if you run a good enough campaign, you say the right things, you can actually win. You can be a part of things. But back then, that didn't happen very often. Decisions were made in smoky back rooms. There wasn't primaries all the time like you have now. Um, and it was very corrupt. It was very, cor- you know, there was a lot of corruption in the system. Uh, Harold was never part of that dirty side of things, but uh, you had to get to know people like Tom Pendergrass, who was a part of that, if you wanted to make it anywhere in politics. Anyway, Pendergrass uh, made Harold a judge, and it was an administrative judge for trade and city contracts. And uh, that started Harold's political career. And what's interesting about it is he stayed friends with his friend, uh, Eddie, throughout his uh, whole life. Harold would eventually lose that role in uh, re-election, but he came back to Pendergast, and uh, he got to be another judge. Uh, Pendergast liked him and fit him in these roles of judges. Sometimes you elect judges, right? Well, one day Harold said, you know what, I want to be in Congress. And Pendergast laughed at him. He said, no, no, you're not going to be in Congress. And, you know, and Harold was not a very impressive person. Uh, he wasn't somebody who you would think necessarily he didn't come across that way anyway. Pendergrass said, no, you're not the right person. But an interesting thing happened as Providence, and I believe it was Providence. And if you don't know where I'm going with this, you'll know in a minute. I believe it was Providence. What happened is the state of Missouri suddenly needed a U.S. senator, and Tom Pendergrass was persuaded to support Harold for senator, and Harold won. And he was known by his political opponents then as not the senator from Missouri, but the senator from Pendergast, which is pretty funny, I think. After Harold won the seat from Missouri, uh, he moved to Washington, D.C., obviously, and his friend Eddie kept uh, his route in Washington, D.C., and they maintained their friendship. This friendship mattered a lot. But then something rather interesting happened in history. World War II comes about, and you have the Holocaust, this terrible thing. We enter the war. FDR runs for president after the Great Depression. He wins a first term, becomes president in 1933, becomes president in 1936. FDR breaks tradition and runs for a third term, and he wins in 1940. And in 1944, he wanted to run again, and he dumped his current vice president, and instead, he wanted to go with somebody nobody had ever heard of, but somebody who wouldn't really hurt him uh, in his campaign. And he picked Harold, better known as Harry Truman, to be his vice president. And they win. FDR wins his fourth term. And uh, they win. Harry becomes vice president. Shortly after this, FDR sits up one day in bed and he says, I have a terrible headache. And those were his last words when he died. And Harold became president of the United States, Harry Truman. World War II ends. And then around the world, a major question was about what to do for Jewish people. Should there be a Jewish homeland or not? 
And the problem was, is most of the world actually was anti-Semitic, not just the Nazis, uh, but a lot of the world had turned a blind eye to what the Nazis were doing, particularly with Jewish people. And the Democrats were against the Jewish state, and the Republicans were against the Jewish state, and somebody said, let the UN do it, and they were against the Jewish state, and President Truman was frustrated and losing interest, and he wasn't really in favor of it. But his longtime Jewish friend, Eddie Jacobson, and there's a story about this that you can read online if you, if you Google Harry Truman and Eddie Jacobson. He came to the White House and he convinced him to hear out those who were arguing for a new Israel. And Harry wasn't convinced ultimately by Congress or his own Democratic Party or anybody else in the world, but he was convinced to recognize Israel. And because Harry Truman did that, Israel became a nation state again. He was convinced by a traveling salesman that this was a worthy thing to do. And as history would show, Harry Truman went against the advice of most of the world and recognized Israel as a nation because of his childhood friend, because he understood through this friendship what anti-Semitism was. He understood what the issues were in a closer way, and he knew it was a worthy thing to do. This is a friendship that changed the world. If you study history, there's no way that Israel should have ever become a nation, politically speaking. But do you think it's possible that through God's providence, he had Harry Truman meet Eddie Jacobson when they were young and become friends and fight in a war and go into business together and remain friends throughout life, and then one day Harry would become president and Eddie would be used to help create the state of Israel? This is how God does things in the world today. If you're worried about the state of the world, if you're concerned about President Biden or President Trump or the next election, God has always been in control. He is not out of control with coronavirus. He's not out of control with whatever's going on with the, the, our enemies today. He has always been in control of history. This is how God works. I hope you can be encouraged by that story. I just wanted to finish that up from last week. It's a great story. Eddie Jacobson and Harry Truman, go look it up. I think you'll be inspired by it. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host for today. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-LA-TALKS. I'll be back in just a couple of moments. Stay tuned. Welcome, everybody, to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your guest host. It's great to be with you today. You can join our conversation right now at 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Let me ask you this question. How often do you go to church, if you go to church at all. Studies now say, according to George Barna, 49%, as he put together these studies, 49% of people in the United States actively attend church at least once a month. Uh, It's the first time in our history that regular church attendance has dropped below 50%. And, you know, once a month, that's interesting, regular church attendance. Do you consider that regular? I have a friend who's a church consultant. He considers it once every six weeks as regular church. If you have sort of dropped off, um, or maybe you've picked up and started going more because of the pandemic, uh, give me a call. I'd love to know why. What are your thoughts? What would make you be more active uh, in the church that you are connected with, or in some church if you're not connected to any church? 888-528-2557. What would actually change so that you became more uh, active in your church? 888-528-2557. Give me a call. Tell me what you think. 49% are actively churched. You attend church at least once a month. Uh, 8%, there's another 8% that are, according to Barna's study, minimally 
church. They attend church infrequently, um, and uh, but unpredictably. I have a friend who says that he goes to my church, that he attends First Baptist Church of San Diego, and he says that he's a regular attender. And it makes me laugh a little bit because he never comes. I don't even see him on Easter, but I know his, I'm closer friends with his roommate. His roommate goes to church all the time. And I says, oh, does your roommate still go to church? Yep, still goes, still says this is his church. I don't think he's actually attended church services for three or four years, at least not Easter, not Christmas, nothing. If you uh, are kind of in that, uh, you're not really sure uh, that you go to church very often, or maybe you've dropped out. Barna's study says that 33% are de-churched that they were once active in church, but they're no longer. That's a third. Uh, and then there are 10% of uh, Americans uh, don't currently and have never attended church, uh, 10%. Uh, where are you at, and what are the things that prevent you from being more active in church? Give me a call, 888-528-2557, 888-LA-TALKS, 888-LA-TALKS. And I'll get your phone calls here in just a minute. We can call right now, 888-528-2557. The world's changing a lot. In the early 1990s, about two out of 10 U.S. adults were churchless. Um, In the early 2000s, it was three in 10. And today, it's about half the population, right? So half the population not going to church, uh, or they wouldn't have a church that they, they call their their own. Give me a call about that. I'm going to take a call that's about uh, the story I just told about Eddie Jacobson and Harry Truman, but I want to hear from you if your thoughts are about, uh, you know, what is it that uh, maybe would uh, help you be more connected in church, or you can tell me why you've dropped out a little bit. We can have a conversation about that. 888-528-2557. Carol from Van Nuys has a comment about my Eddie Jacobson and Harry Truman story. How are you doing, Carol? Um, Hi, Scott. Um, I wanted to say uh, I started to try when you mentioned that story, and it really encouraged me. Uh, I have a lot of health problems and almost died my, with my last surgery. But mm. I take care of my younger daughter who has autism that gets worse as she gets older, and she has several multiple OCD problems, two that are so severe. She's left our apartment in over two years. But your story you told me, yes, God's in control, and it really encouraged me. Oh, well, I'm glad to hear that, Carol. Thank you for... Uh, and, for sh- and, and I can't think of church a lot because of her problem and my health problem. Yeah. I don't even understand why people don't go to church. I tried the first time I was able to get to church in a long while because I just miss being there, and not for me, but just so that I could be there for God and be there with God and just don't get it. Well, I think, you know, for uh, that's why we're we're opening up that conversation. Can I pray for you, Carol, before you go and your your daughter? Carol, you still with me? Uh, you still there, Carol? Yes, I am All right, can, here. Can I pray for you before you go? Yes. All right. God, thank you for Carol, and I pray that you would be with her and her daughter um, with uh, their health problems, that you'd give her healing and that you'd give her peace and comfort, both her and her daughter. And whatever the situation is, Lord, I pray that she's able to be back in fellowship with people and that her daughter would too. I thank you that she's encouraged today that you are always in control. And I pray that that encouragement would go forward from this moment, that she would always have joy in the fact that you're present and in control. And I thank you for her call today. In Jesus' name, amen. Carol, thank you for giving me a call uh, today. 
Thank you, and God bless you. God bless you. 888-528-2557. What are the things that have made you stop going to church, or maybe the things that have brought you back to church if you were not in it? Uh, Robert on the 405 Freeway, welcome to Southern California Live. Thank you, thank you. Um, Briefly, I go to church uh, twice a week. And the okay. reason that keeps me coming back to church because my church is located in Van Ice, and uh, we kind of feel the Holy Spirit um, working with us while we're in service, and at the same time we do a lot of missionary work around the city and, and other places in Mexico. So uh, we keep motivated by that. Uh, yeah, I'm, you I'm pretty good about. Go ahead, sir. I no, I was going to say I think that that is something that uh, really helps people. So you're saying you go to church twice a week. So you go to a Bible study or like a you know something else your church does, Correct. a prayer meeting and, or something. Uh, yeah, norm, normally it's three times a week, but because of now uh, we're doing a lot of Zoom classes. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, it is Bible study, and it's all, we have service on Friday and Sunday, uh, okay. and then we have a class on Thursday. So yeah. it's three three times a week, but basically I'm just doing two times a week. But it, it's, it's actually, we feel the Holy Spirit working in our church. And, and that's you also, why uh, yeah. I don't stop going. So you go because you feel like you you understand the presence of God, and then you also, through the Holy Spirit, but you also understand the mission that God's given you, and that your church is involved in mission. Is that right? Yes. You do yes, stuff around the correct. What do you do around the city? I'm sorry, what was that? What are the missions that you do around the city? You said you do some missions around the oh, city. Oh, we uh, we actually go to Home Depot on Sundays, Sunday morning. I mean, Sunday morning at seven in the morning. We go to a local Home Depot. Uh, we bring clothing. We bring food. We bring the word, uh, and we give handouts. And then we we pray for people that need to be prayed for. Um, so we're there um, at least twice a month, um, and our church uh, is going more that. More people are attending those those uh, kind of activities yeah. around the city. Then we also go. We also support a lot of the uh, a lot of the missionaries that go out. We have one missionary uh, pastor that is in Madagascar, so we also supported him and on his mission. Yeah. All right, Robert. Thank you very much for your call and joining our program today. You know, he talked about when he talked about why he's in church. You know, he goes to church a lot. Okay. One of the things that the studies show is that if you want to bring people back to church, it's the mission that does this. It is that it's not just the show. It's not just the, all of the different things that you can do on a Sunday morning, but especially the younger generation who is often cynical about what churches are about. When you have active missions, ways for people to actually help people who are in need and spread the gospel, um, people come back to church. They get involved uh, that way. Uh, the number is 888-528-2557. I'm asking uh, why you've uh, uh, dropped out of church, if you have, or what has brought you back to church, if maybe once you left and now you're back. Karen in Anaheim. Karen, thank you for your call and joining us here on Southern California Live. Hi. Hi, Karen. Hi. What can I? What's on your mind? Oh, um, I just wanted to say that you know, I was born and raised in a Christian home, and I went to church that used to have the choirs, and I know in the last 20 years I've been to churches that got the bands. Yeah. And over the last couple of years, the bands are becoming louder, like extremely loud, 
where I'm plugging my ears for the music, so or I have to go out and sit in the hall. So I just kind of stopped going, and I started watching online. I watched the sermons online. Yeah, but you're not you're not able to uh, participate uh, in the fellowship and the worship because it's uh, no, but yeah. yeah, and I miss the whole worship experience. You know, I love worship songs, um, so I listen to that on the radio actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, but well, in the church, it's just super loud, and I know they say they have that because it brings it attracts the younger people. But yeah, it's I think a complicated way to a lot of the older people. Yeah, I understand that fully. We deal with that. Probably every church deals with that to certain degrees. Thank you, yeah, Karen. Yeah, uh, I think so. Yeah, you know, Karen, I'd encourage you to uh, you know maybe look around for a church. Not every church uh, has that, and uh, you know, with electronic instruments today, it just. Um, it's very hard to keep it quieter. Um, yeah. And that's one of the things is that, you know, people, uh, uh, you know, what's funny though about that is my, my, uh, my dad's church, his church is in a retirement community in Arizona, still preaching. He's in his eighties. And, uh, my mother's the choir director. They still have a choir, piano and organ. And, uh, you know, people who sit too close to the organ speaker, they all think it's too loud too. Uh, organ can be pretty wow. loud out there. Right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I would encourage you to, um, see if there's a way that you can find uh, a way to be involved in your church or find a place that you can go and still be uh, involved. The big conversation now is how do we really help include people? And it's difficult with, uh, yeah. you know, the electronic things. And it's difficult We're looking for around people in other have, churches in our area. Yeah. So but find a place where you can, yeah, where you can huh. be uh, with people. All right, Carol or Karen, thank you very much for your call. All right. Thank you. You're listening to Southern California Live. This is Scott Furrier, your guest host. The number is 888-528-2557. And uh, we're hearing from you about why maybe you haven't been going to church or why uh, you've come back to church. We're looking at the study from uh, Barna that talks about now half the uh, country uh, doesn't go to church, uh, doesn't have an actual uh, church congregation that they're a part of. Um, and uh, 49% only go about... Uh, you know, as much as once a month, they're considered in that. So there's a lot of people not in church on a regular basis. What are your thoughts about that? Give me a call, 888-528-2557. I'm Scott Furrow, your guest host for today. I'll be back in just a couple of moments. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everybody, to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your guest host. It's great to be with you today. And uh, we are talking about uh, church and the percentage of people who are in church. We're now about 50% of Americans, a little less than that now, attend church regularly. And regularly can mean, you know, once a month. Uh, So that's, what, 12 times a year? I'll assume that you go, you know, maybe one extra time for Christmas. Uh, Maybe you go twice at Easter. But uh, the landscape has changed. Things have changed in the church. And one of the things I'm asking you is to get your thoughts on why, if you used to go to church, have you stopped going to church? What maybe has brought you back to church? What are your thoughts on this? And I'll close out in a couple of minutes with some thoughts, but there's still some time to give me a call, 888-528-2557. If you have a thought about this, 888-528-2557. What would it take to get you to get back into church regularly if you left? 888-528-2557. Uh, Elizabeth, welcome to Southern California Live. Welcome to Southern California, Elizabeth. Now, welcome to Southern California Live. Are you with me? 
Up, oh, we lost Elizabeth. Maybe uh, she hasn't quite landed in Southern California. Um, whatever it was there. Eight 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 five two eight two five five seven. Welcome to Southern California. I, you know, you could be listening on the uh, the app. I had a call from Oregon one time. Uh, KKLA.com, by the way, if you want to get the app for KKLA, go to KKLA.com. You can listen online or you can download the app and listen on your mobile device. Same thing at KPRZ.com. If you're in San Diego, get the app or the mobile device. You can always take part in our show, and I want to encourage you to do that. 888-528-2557. We're talking about involvement in church and uh, that the studies have changed. But you know what? There's some interesting things about it. So about half the country now no longer has a church home. They don't feel like they're actively connected to any any church. And there's been a lot of conversation recently about how many people feel uh, how the country has changed in such a way where it used to be that people would always claim that they were uh, some kind of religion, usually Christian, and then they had a denomination that maybe they would pick, even if they've never actually been a part of it. So you ever fill out a form? I haven't seen this for a while, come to think of it in a form, where it asks me what my religion is, and sometimes it says no preference, and other time it says Catholic, and then it says Protestant, and then it'll list all of the uh, the different denominations. It'll have Lutheran and Methodist and Presbyterian, um, and then it'll have uh, Baptist and 15 different Baptist options. And uh, (laughs) that's on the forum. You've seen that before, maybe. But people are now, and I think people used to mark religion because they were connected to some church, even if they only went Christmas and Easter or they grew up there. But people feel more comfortable today saying nothing. It's called the nuns, not N-U-N, N-O-N-E, religious nuns. And, you know, a lot of these statistics, and Barna puts them out, there's some other groups out, they can seem a little bit uh, depressing at first. But, you know, one of the things that we are seeing in the spiritual life of Americans is actually Americans want to have a spiritual life. We in the church have struggled with connecting people, with discipling people. And now you see a whole lot of uh, differences. The unchurched people are more likely to be men in a significant way. They're more likely to be uh, white. They're more likely to be... uh, mosaics or bustard. Mosaics, I think that mosaics is a new term for millennial. You know, I think we have probably bashed the millennial term so much in time that now it's changed to mosaics because they're all over the map kind of in different ways that that generation uh, feels. Uh, Single people are more likely to not be in church. Uh, Less educated people, interestingly enough, um, who have not gone past high school are less likely to be in church. That might go against what some of the thinking is, right? Um, But actually, you're less likely to be involved in church today if you're less educated. Um, and in fact, one of the things that Barna puts down in his survey is that Pacific Coast residents tend to be less likely to be in church than uh, anywhere else in the country. That's pretty significant, isn't it? We got some work to do here in Southern California. Um, but here's some positive things, and then I want to I want to give you something else to think about. Um, a positive thing is that people actually are looking three quarters of people who don't go to church, who aren't connected with any church, three-quarters actually own a Bible. I was talking the other day about how amazingly available the Bible is today because you can just get it right on your phone. It's right there on the Internet. If for some reason you needed to look something up, you got an app, and uh, people have the Bible in their pocket. Even people who don't go to church regularly, you may, for one reason or another, have downloaded the Bible app, and you've got it and we carry it around with us. Six in 10, according to George Barna, six in 10 churchless adults have prayed uh, in the past week. Maybe you're not sure what direction you're praying to or if it works. 
but there is something in you that says, you know, I better pray. And two-thirds, according to these surveys, of people who don't go to church have said they tried to grow spiritually by talking with family or friends about faith or watching religious uh, programming on TV or listening to the radio. That's pretty significant. And other studies that I've read have shown that even young people, who always sort of get the brunt of these surveys, that while fewer young people are in church uh, as far as regular attendance, that actually there's a greater number of devout young people who aren't just once-a-month people but who go regularly are in church now than ever before. Did you know that? According to the General Social Survey, which is out of the University of Chicago, which is where Barna and Pew and lots of these people get their, their resources from, there's actually significant data that says that while a lot of younger people aren't in church at all and not interested, the group that is is very devout and more serious about their faith. And the generation that is coming, that's the church, the church now, uh, God is doing something special. Let me tell you something. This generation that's coming up, the ones who want to go to church and who are connected, the ones who find Christ when they go to college or they find Christ when they go to the workplace and they start asking their own questions, they get their Bible, they read it, they grow in their faith. It's very, very encouraging. 888-528-2557 is the phone number if you want to join the conversation. Well, here's something that I think might change your perspective a little bit about this. It's something I think that's really, really important. I'll get to a a call or two here that I'll get to here in just a second as it's coming up. Something I want you to think about when we hear these stories about church or you get maybe discouraged about it, don't be. The church is not a building. I want you to think about that for a second. I'm going to take a call here. Greg from Los Angeles. Welcome to Southern California Live. Hi. Hi, Greg. Hi, Thanks for calling. Going? What's on your mind? Thank you. Well, I was just listening to the topic, and it's just been something that's been uh, really plaguing me and my wife for years. We have three children, and the guilt of not bringing them to Sunday school overwhelms me, but I, I can't really answer I, why I had just dropped off in my church going. I've been a Christian for 30 years. For most of that, I went three times a week, uh, actively involved uh, in Sunday school teaching and other ministries. And then, uh, you know, I have some theories as to why about 10, 12 years ago, my church going dropped off. Uh, I got involved in some of the politics in a megachurch environment, Mm. which really disillusioned me. So like church politics or national politics? Church politics. Yeah, internal stuff. And just, yeah, you you find it anywhere, a human being. Right. That kind of stuff. And I I found that I put people on a pedestal and I shouldn't have. Um, It really just gets down to sin, my personal excuse-making. And this was just an easy hot potato to to drop. And I can't really explain it. Um, I, I got married uh, 15 years ago. My wife and I were going actively, and she just dropped off. We both did together. We tried going to small churches, Baptist churches, Pentecostal churches, home churches. We've tried everything, and we go, and I get excited, and then it just stops. And I'm just left scratching my head. It has to get back to sin, and I guess I'm sharing my thoughts if only that someone else out there can relate. I don't have any answers. Yeah. But 
I, I can't be the only one, and it just resonated with me, the topic, and for whatever it's worth, I'm saying it resonates with me. And yeah, great. I, I, I'm stuck. Yeah, Greg, I think that actually, uh, thank you for your call, Greg. I appreciate that. Greg, a lot of people are where you're at. In fact, that's what these studies are showing, is that a lot of people have dropped off of church. In fact, this happened for a lot of people during the coronavirus, during the shutdowns. They, people who were regular have not come back, and they're not, some are not even watching online. That number at one point was 30%. It looks like they're coming back now. It's more like 20%. You know what I would do, Greg, is I would encourage you. You said about sin, and you're probably thinking about something specific. I would encourage you and your wife to not give up on church. And many people have had the same uh, maybe discouragement with the inside politics and the inside baseball that goes on with church. Uh, I've had to deal with that. It's kind of awful. And, you know, the church is full of sinners, people who are who sin and who struggle. And, uh, you know, there's going to be sin in the church. But focus on Christ and realize something else about church. And this is something that... Uh, I was going to share, and I'll see if I can get into this. The church is not the building or the nonprofit organization. That's one of the things that I think we struggle with a lot is the church actually is the people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he writes, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Something to keep in mind is that people are the church. And we, we sin, pastors sin, elders sin, people in the church sin, there's politics, and people go to church for the wrong reason. There's a lot of change going on in the church because of that. Um, but I want to encourage you to find a church and realize, yep, there might be some problems. There's no perfect church. But don't give up on that. It will bless your life to have fellowship. Find some people who uh, you can go to church with, again, maybe find a church plant, a church that's meeting in a school a church that's brand new, see what they're about. You might find a really good church to be a part of. Uh, real quick, one more call, Marshall from Huntington Beach. Marshall, I only have a couple of, uh, like one minute, so uh, thanks for calling. Okay. Hi. I just wanted to say that we recently left a church because this pastor wrote a book on the Enneagram and then tried to, well, he was applying it every Sunday of which personality or Right, you were number one, two, three, four, whatever it was. Right, right. Um, with, with the Bible and bringing his book along the Bible to talk to everybody and try to apply it. And, and he just felt and like he went off the rails a little I bit with my head. Yeah, it's like the Bible doesn't need any help. You know, if you want to write a book, write a book. You know, that's great. But, uh, you know, I don't think you should bring it to the pulpit and try to place that along with God's Word. God's Word doesn't need any help. And that's what I wanted to say. All right, Marshall, thanks for calling. There's a lot that we could go into with that topic that you brought up, and maybe we'll do that on another time, but I'm about out of time. Here's what I want to leave you with. These numbers of everybody not being in church, uh, 49% of people only go to church. You know what's something that's true since people are the church? The actual truth about our country is that almost 100% of people go to church every week. And they go to church every week because they're with you every week, because they're around somebody who's a believer and the church is not a building or an address or a nonprofit corporation. Biblically, the church are people who believe in Jesus Christ, who have the Holy Spirit residing in them. And I want you to think about that because the mission that we're on is not about showing up in some building, although that can be a great thing that helps us in mission. The mission is about the people that God has placed in your life in order for you to love and give God the glory for. 
We'll talk about that more later another time, but I appreciate your thoughts and thinking. I'm Scott Furrow. This is Southern California Live. Go to kkla.com and kprz.com to get more information. I'll be back tomorrow. God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.